Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 553. Shimmery, he said. Like the cobblestones outside a tallow works after a hard rain. I always thought of it as a dirty gray, she said, sort of washed out from his being on the road all the time. That makes good sense, Dayton said, and I watched Hespy's face go gentle again. White, Tempe volunteered. I think white, no color. I always thought of it as kind of a pale sky blue, Martin admitted, shrugging. I know that doesn't make any sense. That's just how I picture it. Everyone turned to look at me. Sometimes I think of it like a quilt, I said made entirely of patchwork, a bunch of different colored rags and scraps, but most of the time I think of it as dark, like it really is a color, but it's too dark for anyone to see. When I was young, stories of Taberlin had left me wide-eyed with wonder. Now that I knew the truth about magic, I enjoyed them on a different level, somewhere between nostalgia and amusement. But I held a special place in my heart for Taberlin's cloak of no particular color. His staff held much power. His sword was deadly. His key, coin, and candle were valuable tools. But the cloak was at the heart of Taberlin. It was a disguise when he needed it. Helped him hide when he was in trouble. It protected him from rain, from arrows, from fire. He could hide things in it. It had many pockets full of wonderful things. A knife, a toy for a child, a flower for a lady. Whatever Taberlin needed was somewhere in his cloak of no particular color. These stories are what made me beg my mother for my first cloak when I was young. I drew my own cloak around me. My nasty, tatty, faded cloak the tinker had traded me. On one of our trips into Crossen for supplies, I'd picked up some spare cloth and sewn a few clumsy pockets into the inside, but it was still a poor replacement for my rich burgundy cloak, or the lovely black and green one Fella had made for me. Martin cleared his throat again and launched back into his story. So Taberlin struck the trunk with his hand and shouted, Edro! The lid of the chest popped open, and he grabbed his cloak of no particular color and his staff. He called forth great barbs of lightning and killed twenty guards. Then he called forth a sheet of fire and killed another twenty. Those that were left threw down their swords and cried for mercy. Then Taberlin gathered up the rest of his things from the chest. He took out his key and coin and tucked them safely away. Lastly, he brought out his copper sword, Skjaldrin, and belted the end of the page. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And it is the thrice day that Nick has been locked away by the Sorcerer King. Hopefully he'll figure it out soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he can last much longer without water. Uh, I feel kind of bad for stealing things from his room now. Maybe we'll put them back. Hmm, speak for yourself. <laughs>
have a nice golden statue to adorn. <laughs> Maybe we'll like put the statue back, but we'll dress it up funny. Mm. All right, I have things for this page. Many, many things. Why also totally not, like, I don't think this has a point, but I'm interested in it. Why did he have the candle with him, but the Sorcerer King took away the key and the coin? I don't think that the candle was his candle. I think that was just a candle. It wasn't, well, I mean, he takes the key and the coin out of the chest, but he's supposed to have the key, the coin, and the candle. How is that, how is that candle not the candle? I don't know. Does he not have the candle yet? Let me put it this way. I don't know what the explanation is, but I think that if the bad guy was taking away all his stuff, he would take away the key coin and his candle. And therefore, I think that the candle that he has must just be a candle. Unless, unless he does not have the candle yet. And this is the story of how he acquires it. Ooh, I love it. Interesting. Okay. Also, his sword is made of copper. That seems, I mean, have we heard about that before? That the Taberlin's sword is copper? Yeah. No, we haven't. But I think okay. that you and I and our readers are probably uh, a, a, a candle is guttering to life in our minds because, of course, as we have discussed, um, though it's never, I don't think it's ever explicitly stated in the book, although I might be wrong, but we know that, that copper is like the bane of, of, of naming, right? Yes. That it, it is, it is. Uh, something that has no name or that namers cannot affect. And so and so if we have that understanding, then the reason that Taberlin's sword is copper is because it's meant for fighting namers like himself. Hmm. I posit to you on a historical basis that his copper sword is a short sword. Because you're like, thinking of like Bronze Age Greek weaponry and yeah. that like Greek weapons that were made of bronze where, you know, they favored a shorter sword. Well, I not just that, that they favored it, but apparently it's harder to make a longer sword out of copper. Because mm-hmm. copper is not a particularly strong metal, it's and if it's super longer, soft, <laughs> if it's longer, it's probably less, you know, less sturdy than a shorter sword. Yeah, Indeed. that makes sense to me. Also, also about copper, is it most of our money made of like plated copper nowadays? I don't really know. Uh, like pennies are supposed to be like mostly copper. Yeah, pennies um, definitely, but I mean, we don't even have pennies anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, nickel. Sorry. The uh, the peanut gallery has told mm-hmm. me that most of our money is made of nickel. Thank you, peanut gallery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Keeping Sudbury in business. Yep. <laughs> for, for our American listeners, the Canadian town of Sudbury in northern Ontario is a, uh, a nickel mining center of the, of the country. Yes, yeah, actually, you know what, if you, even if you weren't from Ontario, that joke might have gone, like, way over your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's, some, there's some Canadian content for you. Yes. All right, excellent. Uh, so that, he's got the copper sword. Any significance to the stuff in his pockets? A knife, a toy for a child, a flower for a lady? I think those are just handy things. Yeah, well, and I think, I think the function that his cloak of no particular color serves in stories about Taberlin is that like he always ha- has just what he needs just when he needs it in the same way that like Bugs Bunny you know can kind of pull out of cartoon space you know uh, a, a hammer or whatever else he needs to 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 goof on Elmer Fudd and I think that's kind of the like that's kind of the magic of it in in this story is like he always has kind of like a tinker does 
he always has the right thing for the right circumstance. So if he is wooing a lady, he can always pull a flower out of his coat, out of his cloak to to woo her with. Mm. And obviously, I think we're learning a lot about Quoth because this is something that, you know, Quoth has always loved about these stories. It's like his favorite thing about them. And that's why he, even as a kid, was always trying to make cloaks for himself that have little pockets full of useful things. Yes, I too, big fan of both cloaks and pockets. Very frustrated that pockets not a big thing in women's clothing. <laughs> mm, the eternal frustration. But also, Indeed. like, it, this is such a, a relatable experience of, like, you know, when I was a kid, Batman had a cool cape. And now, even at the tender age of 33, when I wear a cape for any reason... I'm like, hell yeah, Batman. And then I jump down a flight of stairs so I can feel the cape whoosh behind me. Billow. Makes you yes. feel cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that that uh, that joy will ever fade. No, absolutely. I used to have this big blue crushed velvet uh, skirt that my mom made when I was a kid. I think it was for like my sister's Halloween costume one year. Maybe she was like, I don't know, someone who wears blue. But... Uh, as a kid, it was it was too big for me because my sister's four years older than I am, and so I used to I used to either wear it as a cape and it would go like right down to my feet, or like a cloak or something, uh, or I would like wear it on my head and pretend like my hair was blue, <laughs> like I had like really long blue Rapunzel hair, <laughs> but it was also like my cape and my cloak for like everything. I say some children had blankies. I had a crushed velvet skirt that I wore like a cape. <laughs> yeah, that rocks. And didn't we all have like, if if you were the kind of kid who had like a a a, a box full of costume stuff, didn't you always have that one like favorite costume item that you just like wore for a, for like a week yep, <laughs> at a time? Definitely. Oh, listeners, please write in with your favorite costume items. I would love to like read a, like a bunch of those for a Patreon. That would be so great to like explore every everyone's dress up boxes. Yeah, that would what, be awesome. How could we compile the very best dress up boxes? Okay, but before we get too far off the page, back to the page. His sword has a name. It is Skjaldren, mm-hmm. which is I don't think we've heard about his sword having a name before. No, we're getting a lot of like details about yeah, lots of info. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I don't really know what to make of that name, but uh, feels important. It sounds kind of Norse, and I think it's also just meant to make us like get Gandalf vibes because Gandalf is also a wizard with a sword that has a name. Yeah, what is uh, Gandalf's sword name again? Glamdring. Ah, uh, yes. Glamdring the foe hammer. Peanut gallery, be quiet over there. <laughs> Did he also say, does he confirm he also said, Yes. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I think, I think might even know more about Lord of the Rings than, than you and Nick. Like Possibly. He lives and breathes it. It's terrifying. Glamdring, <laughs> also called the Foe Hammer and the Beater, forged for Turgon, the elven king of Gondolin during the first age. Blah, blah, blah. Indeed. I was like, I'm so glad that Jeff can't hear you because God knows he would have just like said it in unison with you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it was found alongside Orchrist, which is another badass name for a sword, uh, which is, um, that's uh, Thor and Oakenshield's sword. Those are the swords right. they find. Yes, in, in yes, the, yes, yes. I'm remembering uh, all of this now when they pick up all the little swords. Yeah. Well, all the big swords and then the little sword. Yeah. 
in Goblin Town. Yes. Um, so I really like when we get all the different characters' ideas of what they think the cloak of no particular color looks like, because it shows you how many different ways there are to interpret something in a story that is left open to interpretation. Yes, I now feel like a big dummy for questioning that now. <laughs> so what do you picture his cloak of no particular color looking like? I picture it like if you were to take a galaxy and flatten it and turn it into fabric. Mm. Like it but like so so it sto- sort of looks like like darkness but with stars and like also Space sort of gas. like a gasoline spill. Yeah. Yeah, that's I definitely picture it looking and that's I think kind of what Dayton is describing, but obviously they don't have like, you know, gas they don't have gasoline in in Tamarant, so he's describing it like like the 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 slick that you get outside of like a candle factory but i think it's the same idea of like that shimmering rainbow iridescence that's definitely what i picture yeah yeah i sort of picture like a mix of that and like stars sort of like i feel like it would emit light in like a sort of ethereal way or reflect light i don't know something about that <laughs> And it tells us a little bit about how everybody thinks, right? Dayton is kind of imagining this shifting miasma of colors. You know, Hespi has kind of a more down-to-earth interpretation. Like, it's no particular color because it's he uses it so often. It's been around for so long that it doesn't really have a color anymore. Tempe just pictures it as being white because that's what he thinks of when he thinks of, like, no color. Um, mm-hmm. I think probably that's because Tempe does not understand, the like, how the word particular changes the context of this of the phrase no particular color because that doesn't mean that it's not of any like that it has no color it means that yeah, it's, it's not, not no any color, one color it's no particular color yeah yeah the word particular is doing a lot of work there so i wonder if the adem tell stories about taberlin and if they just describe him as having a white cloak i wonder i feel like they wouldn't tell stories about taberlin they would tell stories about someone else like maybe they have their own folk hero, but Taberlin yeah. is not one of them. Yes, yeah. that would be interesting. I would. I think maybe we'll hopefully we'll learn more about that because has Tempe told the story yet? I don't know if he has. I don't think so. No, he has not. He has not yet told the story in this book. Well, and I mean that makes a certain amount of sense because his command of uh of their common language is not so great. Yes. And Very then, good. I think I am out of things. Hmm. Uh, well then, shall we have a letter? Yes. Mailbag. Mailbag. This one is from our friend Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin is saying hello. So this is a new friend. Hi, Caitlin. Oh, hooray! Welcome hello. to the fray. <laughs> uh, and they wrote this early in the morning, so they salute us by saying, Hello and good early morning, Nick, Jordana, and Jeremy. I've been listening in since the fall of 2019, and I finally caught up soon after your break. I hope you all got some much-needed rest, and I'm so excited to hear your familiar voices again with every new episode. I recently became a mother in early January. Congratulations. Indeed. Uh, And it's becoming a tradition to listen to each newly released episode during the middle of the night feedings. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we can keep you company. Even though my little one has no idea what's going on, I hope to share my love and passion for reading with him as he grows older. We are currently reading the original Winnie the Pooh book by A.A. Milne to him. 
I hope we can talk about our favorite stories that enrapture us as he grows older. Ever since I read Name of the Wind, I want to revisit the world beyond my reading and greatly enjoy listening to y'all discuss it in so in-depth, especially the crackpot theories. I don't have any pots to add to the pile just yet, but I do have a question. What is your favorite winter Olympic sport? I'm particularly fond of figure skating and curling. I'm sending warm thoughts from Texas, Caitlin. Well, howdy, Caitlin. Uh, it's so nice to hear from you, and I hope uh, we can continue to keep you company during those those long late nights with uh, with the new little one. It's yeah, it's wonderful to hear from you. And uh, Winnie the Pooh, who whom amongst us has not enjoyed Winnie the Pooh? Those stories are classics. Indeed, Jordana. Like are, I think I think a lot of people are familiar with them because I feel like they really like traveled the world. A bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, I guess they're I, old too. Like, uh, like I think even my parents had Winnie the Pooh as a kid. Well, because the guy who wrote them, like, he was a soldier in World War One, right? Yeah. Like that's that's where those came from originally. But then I think you know I think a lot of people were exposed to Winnie the Pooh because of the Disney adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jordana, what is your favorite Winter Olympic sport? Well, so when I was a kid, figure skating was my favorite. And then I decided that it was kind of boring and I liked the the rhythmic skate, which is like more like skate dancing. Mm. Uh, and then I I think I think I've officially transferred over to uh, the cross country skiing or Nordic skiing um, in Olympics, which is uh, I call it skate skiing. Um, but essentially your skis are just slightly shorter than regular cross country skis. And instead of your feet be, or your skis being parallel, they're more pizza shaped. So you, you actually, you're moving your feet sort of like you would skate, but you're on skis and it's a form of cross country ski racing. And I like it because I've done it. So I understand it. I like, I enjoy it because I understand it. My favorite metal to watch like just to know whether or not it's happening or not is always women's hockey because if they don't get gold i'm gonna cry um (laughs) like it's just i need them to get gold that is like that is the one gold like gold medal that i really care about i don't care how well everybody does in the cross-country skiing but it's my favorite to watch but i care how well canada does in the women's hockey (laughs) Mm. uh and how well are they doing this year oh they won it they did it gold Yep, the men's hockey team, though. Oh boy, did they ever bite the, the bullet! To the Good shit. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really did. They didn't even make it to the medal ceremony. Neither did Honestly, the U.S. team. I mean, the yeah. U.S. never does. Because... Uh, the U.S. actually does frequently. But, but how? All the good American and Canadian hockey players are from Sweden. They're all like Russian and Sweden and Swedish and shit. So we lose there all are our some good players. NHL players that are from the states. However, NHL players cannot play in this year's Olympics which is part of the reason why all of the guys teams suck. <laughs> huh. Also, also, also. So because normally a lot of the Canadian team uh, for the men's is made up of NHL players, they're all people who like play hockey sort of the same way. They understand the sport really well. Like they don't necessarily have to play together as a team to be able to work well as a team because they're all from that sort of uh, like same hockey culture. But when you take out the NHL players and you've just got like uh, ex-NHL who are kind of out of it now or like pre-NHL and then and a lot of like in-between folks, you end up with people who may not be as good as other teams because they haven't played as a team before. 
So mm. they have less less practice as a team. They're like the the team itself was just kind of sort of thrown together in comparison to say previous years when NHL players could play. Does that make sense? Yes, Jordana. I think they should make you uh, the new host of Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> oh my God! Please no. I know very <laughs> little about hockey. The everything I'm telling you, I learned from Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Stealing boyfriend Valor. I see how it is. Stealing husband Valor? What's his is mine? <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> it's not. What's his is mine, including his knowledge. <laughs> this is how marriage works. <laughs> Heavens. We're running super long, so I'm going to wrap this one up. But, uh, Caitlin, uh, I'm sorry to say that I... <laughs> I, uh... I have I'm like head empty, no thoughts when it comes to the Olympics. I, I like I don't follow it. I don't really care. I think that they'll revoke my Canadian citizenship if I don't say hockey. But I always kind of like the idea of those like crazy like those like triathlons ones where you're like skiing down a hill, but you also have to like shoot a target and like yeah, drop, the relay. I think is what that's called. Yeah, it's like some kind of relay. It is the biathlon. That stuff's wild, and I like all the ones where the athletes are clearly stoned, like snowboarding. Oh, wait, one more thing, though, because I feel like we should caveat this is like, I can't help but enjoy the Olympics, but I also understand that they are problematic. Like, I'm not blind to that. (laughs) Yeah, well, what are you going to do? I know. I just I feel like I shouldn't be like, I'm totally Olympics because like, I'm not totally Olympics. I just can't help but enjoy it. I think they should uh, they should make it more the way they did it in Greece. First of all, it should be held where it was held in Greece. Um, we should do like offerings to the Olympic gods and uh, everyone should do it naked and oiled up. Um, All right. Sounds good. Make it you. What is that? Make it make the future happen. Make the be the change you want to see in the world. That's right. So you can see me naked and oiled up at your local <laughs> sport arena on tomorrow's page. Um, the way. <laughs>